Welcome back to another Cardinals Off Day podcast. I'm trying to say that with a sadder tone in my voice because, of course, uh, we're not just a, a an off day now. We're at an off season. The Cardinals were eliminated uh, last night as uh, as we record this in the one game wild card uh, by the Los Angeles Dodgers. Uh, ben, I had a hangover today. Uh, I think it came from the emotions of the 162 game season and the the lofty peak of the 17 game winning streak and the nail biting tension of the the one game winner take all wild card. Um, but also it came from the alcohol. Uh, how are you doing this morning? Uh, I'm doing uh, very well. Uh, I had to work in the morning. I only had a couple of beers, so I was in no way numbed from experiencing the uh, tension of the game, which it was a very fraught game. You know, the Cardinals kind of constantly threatening the Dodgers and never quite pulling through and the Dodgers making their threats and the Cardinals holding them off, you know, until the very end, it was, it was a very draining experience to watch the game. And, uh, I was definitely ready for bed, uh, and would have been ready for bed. I think if the start time would have been like 3 PM central instead of seven. Uh, and it was, it had kind of the the drawn out nature of a Red Sox Yankees game, and I think it was even longer than the Red Sox Yankees game, which had most more scoring, which was kind of wild. Um, yeah. But it was it was a draining experience, uh, and really made me walking away from that game. My thought was that I wanted to see these two teams play at least two more times. Um, because I walked away from that game thinking, you know, this this current iteration of the 2021 Cardinals, I guess the ultimate version of them, uh, is not as far removed from the current version of the Los Angeles Dodgers as I thought maybe they were coming into the game. Uh-huh. Just because, you know, kind of beating up on the Brewers when the Brewers are kind of not going on all cylinders because they're getting ready for the postseason and then beating up on the Cubs who stopped going on all cylinders months ago and won't go on all cylinders again for years left me wondering how good this team really is. And they, they went toe to toe and we said, you know, they had a fighters, a puncher's chance in the fight and kind of liken them to Rocky. And they had a bunch of opportunities to land that punch and they just could not connect but if they would have been, I, I think they they would have uh, almost certainly won that game. If they just would have gotten that one big hit, I feel like it would have been just a huge breakthrough. And I think the game probably turns out differently. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, they were 100% in this game. And I think they had more more chances. And there's you know very easy to see how this game could have played out as a Cardinals win. Um, and, and I agree with you, even just watching this one game and comparing it to the, the two series the Cardinals played against the Dodgers this year, it definitely felt like the Cardinals were much more 
in the same class as the Dodgers in this one game. Although maybe we should caveat that we were watching the Adam Wainwright start. I think if we had to watch the the game two Walker Bueller versus John Lester game, we may not um, have come away with that same with that same feeling. But uh, um, uh, at any rate, um, we do want to talk a little bit about the wild card game up front. Um, and then uh, later on, we're going to talk about uh, kind of start to look ahead just a little bit to the offseason, talk about some of the free agents that are going to be departing the team. Um, but before we jump into talking about the wildcard game, I think you and I wanted to sort of uh, uh, provide a bit of a disclaimer uh, up front, which is that, folks, this is just one game. So, you know, as we talk about what went well and what didn't go well in this game, um, you know, Baseball is a crazy game. They play 162 games for a reason. So players did things well and poorly. Managers did things well and poorly. And uh, I don't know that we need to extrapolate a ton, you know, beyond what happened here. In some cases, I think there's things we saw in performances that maybe we feel like do echo things that, um, you know, go beyond just this one game. But, um, you know, I I guess what I'm saying is overall, don't expect uh, Ben and I to sit here and say, you know, this player or this manager lost the game or this was the moment or, or anything like that. Uh, would you would you concur with that, Ben? Oh, 100%. Uh, something that I always try to do is never uh, overlearn the lessons that October teaches you uh, because it is only a month and oftentimes it's much less than a month. And, you know, there is a reason we are not a podcast called Cardinals Every Day where we get on after every game and dissect everything that happened and try to draw grand truths from it because that's that's absurd. That's because you and I have jobs and families and other things. (laughs) Yes. That's because this is a hobby uh, and and we're not insane. Um, But uh, you know, doing that would be absurd. And so, you know, there, there is something that needs to be done with a postmortem on a one game playoff, but, you know, I think everyone who's listening to this podcast um, is probably something more than just a casual baseball fan. And I think the reason that you, like us, are probably drawn to the game of baseball is that um, it's it's a much larger endeavor. It uh, has ups and downs, and the 162 game season is a is a beautiful thing in that regard, and that's really the thing that I most enjoy about baseball is the regular season, and uh, I certainly enjoy the postseason, um, but it is a completely different animal from the regular season, and uh, but even the regular season or even the postseason and the regular season, you know, baseball is really a professional sport of series until you get to the wild card game. Like even if there's a rain out, the preference is to just add another game onto a series later. Right. You know, (laughs) like, you know, there's so few standalone games in this sport. Yeah, no, you're right. It's a really good point. But, but I'll, you know, I have to say, I'm, I'm a fan of the one game wild card format. I know a lot of people aren't, but I do like that when they went to this format, I do feel like it put, um, it puts some value back on winning your division. And I, I kind of like that. And, you know, this year, I think there's some good examples of that. And I mean, the Dodgers and the Giants are a good example of that. You know, 
two amazing teams, but the Giants were rewarded for being a little bit better, you know, and I mean, to a much lesser extent, because, you know, the Brewers finished, you know, a few games ahead of the Cardinals, but, you know, the, the Cardinals made the playoffs, but, you know, they didn't, you know, they built a team that made one got enough games to, you know, get into the playoffs, but they weren't, you know, good enough to, to win the division. And so, you know, this is kind of where they ended up. So, you know, as a, as a Cardinals fan, of course, I didn't love that they only got a one game shot this year, but, but as a kind of, from a remove as a baseball fan in, in the various structures they've tried, I personally kind of am okay with the, the one game wild card. Um, I, I am going to butcher Dan Moore, uh, former St. Louis uh, Cardinals blogger, uh, site manager at Viva Albertos, uh, writer at uh, Get Up Baby, um, went by the, the nom de plume of Dan Up for a time. Uh, and when they first unveiled the wild card game, um, he uh, kind of paraphrased Hobbs, and I think he described it as uh, rather than nasty, brutish, and short. I think he said cruel, brutish, and short. Dan wrote cruel, brutish, and short, <laughs> and yeah. and I definitely that that passage came to mind uh, <laughs> this morning, and. When they first unveiled it, I definitely subscribed to the. This puts the proper weight on winning the on the value of winning a, a division. Uh, now that we're much further into the experiment, um, you know, my thought, Ben, almost is, why do we have divisions? Whoa! And, and like, shouldn't we just have the National League play the National League and just seed? the top, however many teams you want in, just seed those teams have, you know, them play and yeah, just know. do it that way. I, I have to think about that. that. You know, by the way, this feels like a, this feels like a good topic for an, an off season podcast for us when there's not much going on, <laughs> but uh, I, I, Com- I completely I, off script there, folks. I just proposed redoing the entire schedule and, uh, oh, no, it's <laughs> interesting. I, I season template. I haven't really given it much time. My, my nerd, my only knee jerk reaction is I really like the regionalism in baseball. And so that's one thing I like about the divisions is I like that you, you you're playing a heavily weighted number of games against your kind of more regional opponents. So um, that's, that's, I don't know, that's my first thought there, but, but no, that, that would be interesting to kind of revisit. Um, I guess, you know, casting our eyes towards this game though, let's, let's start off looking at the, at the players and, and I, I'll just, I'll set things up and I'll say from the Cardinal standpoint, I feel like the pitching you have to say was, was excellent. Um, you know, uh, throughout the night. I mean, they played a nine inning game against the Los Angeles Dodgers in Los Angeles. They gave up three runs, you know, like I think you take that 10 times out of 10. Oh, absolutely. If you'd have told me going into the game, the Cardinals will give up three runs. I would have been like, great. (laughs) (laughs) That's, that's the game we want to, we want to play. And uh, I went to the university of Northern Iowa uh, back when we were uh, a more potent basketball team, uh, when we were knocking off the Kansases of the world, uh, my point of reference, Ben, was how many points above 30 is the opposing team at halftime? <laughs> and the further higher than 30 that we would get, the worse our chances. And I feel like that was kind of this defense and pitching and run suppression first Cardinals team, despite the great September run. You know, the 
the team is much more in its comfort zone in that kind of more traditional baseball score realm than maybe the 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 way scores have looked over the last you know 20 25 years yeah yeah so you know i mean again from a from a pitching side you gave up three runs overall the pitching you know did its job uh on the offensive side you only scored one run and that's not that's not enough now that said i still think there were positives uh and and to me one of the real positives was that this game again showed how good this team is at scoring and and basically really just how the excellent base running um and also the defense to an extent but i thought particularly in this game you know the they consistently got runners into scoring position through stolen bases through you know tagging up on fly balls just through you know solid base running because you know they didn't have a single extra base hit in this game um and yet they had i believe 11 chances with runners in scoring position so um you know that's really good and that's that's showing you a team that's absolutely maximizing the opportunities it had the problem of course was they just they created hardly any opportunities there just weren't you know the the hits were extremely few and far between and when they happened they were you know broken bats uh you know tommy edmund uh you know floaters uh in the right field yeah the the duck snorts um you know ducks were snorted uh, Ed, Edmund, Edmund had a single that was 65.7 miles per hour off the bat and another one that was 75.7, uh, which folks, that's not good. Um, that's, those aren't hard hit balls. Um, and, and they were, I, uh, well, and, and I'll add to that Dylan Carlson, of course, had the, the kind of the opposite way hit the sort of ball on the outside half of the plate that he just kind of punched into left field. Those three hits we just mentioned, those were three of the five Cardinal hits on the night. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Goldschmidt had one up over over 101 miles per hour on his single, which, of course, he did. Um, and Yadier Molina had a ground out at 103. But they were not hitting the ball hard despite Scherzer struggling. And, you know, we talked about it during the broadcast, uh, Ben, that, uh, the reason you want a pitcher like Max Scherzer is we are sitting here watching him and thinking to ourselves how much he is struggling, and yet the Cardinals couldn't really touch him. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, it's no. It's it speaks to you know it speaks to how good Max Scherzer is really because you're absolutely right. He was clearly did not have his best stuff at all, but not his best stuff was still good enough to you know, get a lot of outs and definitely to overmatch guys like Tyler O'Neill, who just, you know, really look like, and, 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 you know, Tyler O'Neill is still a pretty young player, but he just, particularly against Scherzer, you know, it, it looked like, uh, you know, it looked like a, an, an old professional going up against a, you know, a, a very green young player. Uh, it felt very much uh, like the dark Knight returns when Batman takes the head of the mutants into the mud pit and says, son, this isn't a mud pit. It's an operating table and I'm the surgeon. And then he cuts him up uh, in the mud pit and, you know, defeats the mutant boss uh, in the mud pit because he's wily old Batman and knows all these ways to take someone apart. And that was Max Scherzer, just like a hot knife through butter. I, you know, I don't know if Tyler O'Neill could not pick the ball up 
from Scherzer, which I'm sure is a common refrain amongst a lot of hitters because Scherzer has been very good for a very long time. But it was, you know, old hand Cy Young award, you know, power pitcher against young power hitter with a lot of swing and miss in his game. And, and it was a little brutal to watch. Yeah, well, and you know, and Goldschmidt too, and, and Goldschmidt's career numbers against Scherzer are abysmal. And watching him too, it just, he 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 seemed like he just doesn't see the ball coming in from Scherzer very well because his his swings were kind of uncharacteristically, um, you know, not not real close, not real strong. So, and I even thought some of the you know Arenado had a hanging breaking ball off of Scherzer that I feel like is a pitch. Nolan Arenado hits a long way and does damage with, you know, and he was even missing on that. And it, it just makes me wonder. And it's one of the things uh, that I enjoy, like when, you know, Saris does clubhouse interviews and kind of talks with batters, you know, what are you seeing when you're facing a certain guy? Because it, it just really seems like, you know, the players have a tough time picking the ball up out of, out of Scherzer's hand for whatever reason. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think just kind of bottom line, I mean, you know, the, the bats were, you know, the, the bats were not alive on this night, but I don't know that we can read a whole lot into it. it you know, it was one night, um, you know, they hadn't played in a few days and that's always something that people kind of bring up. Maybe that can make a difference. Sure. That's a possibility that could be, <laughs> you know, um, but it doesn't always make a difference. And of course, uh, you know, they were facing really good pitchers the whole night too. Cause even though Scherzer came out somewhat early, you know, all of the relief pitchers that the the Dodgers rolled out as well were, you know, real high quality pitchers as well. So, you know, it was, it was tough pitching and they just didn't get much done there. Um, should we, uh, should we move on and talk about some, uh, some bull shilt that we, that we witnessed during the game? Uh, yeah, I think that might be fun. And, uh, you know, I think in terms of what the moves Mike Schilt made, I have to say there were, there were, I think there were some, some definitely some positive moves that he made, but there were also some, um, some kind of head scratchers for me. Some of them just kind of whatever, I guess that was the move he made on the night. Some of them for me, there's definitely echoes of decisions I see him making too often. To me, the first big decision that he made that I, I which was also one that I just kind of disagreed with was uh, Adam Wainwright batting for himself in the top of the sixth inning. Um, and then uh, of course uh, coming out and uh, facing two batters <laughs> in the next inning, getting one out, allowing a hit and then immediately coming out of the game, uh, which I think uh, you dubbed that the Matheny special, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Uh, that is something uh, longtime Cardinals fans will recognize as a mainstay of the Mike Matheny era. Um, he constantly overestimated what he could get from the starting pitcher, uh, would leave the pitcher in too long, and then quite often allowed the pitcher to bat for himself and then would pull him before the end of the next half inning. Yeah. And, and you have to wonder, it's either a completely warped view of how valuable an out or two is, um, or they just don't have their finger on the pulse of where that pitcher is. And the thing that made the move worse to me last night, Ben, than it might otherwise have been, I, I would be a lot more lenient on this if the Cardinals were up by a run or two, right? right? Like then outs are probably more valuable 
on the scale of, you know, what you're trying to do to win this game. But when it's a one-to-one game and you're struggling to get anything going and you have a base runner Uh and, and there, there is a low probability with two outs of scoring a runner from first, but a double scores that runner. Okay. And who is not going to hit a double Adam Wainwright. Yeah. You know, and well, so and you need to you need to put your team in a position to maximize that opportunity. And he did the exact opposite, leaving Wainwright in, and he left him in just to face a couple of batters before he was bringing in the relief pitcher, and uh, in Garcia, and it just it, it was a it was just completely throwing away an opportunity to score the go ahead run, uh, uh-huh. even if that run was not. Uh, in scoring position, he was 90 feet closer to scoring uh, than a whole heck of a lot of Cardinals batters got. And it was just perplexing to me. Well, and that runner on first was also Harrison Bader. And, you know, Cardinal runners were stealing second base just about at will last night off of Will Smith. As That was well played. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> sometimes they just fall into your lap. Uh so no, I, I I mean I agree with you 100. percent the the value of that at bat is 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 very significant there, um, and uh, the other thing to keep in mind is this is not a regular season game. You know, in a regular season game, maybe the extra outs that you feel like you can squeeze out of Wainwright on the mound have some extra value. You know, maybe you feel like you're you're a little short in your bullpen, etc. As we said earlier, you're playing for a series. You're playing for a whole season. You're literally playing for one game here. You've had the last two days off. You have you would have a day off after this anyway. The last few games of the regular season, you were kind of resting. At, you know, everybody. Um, you know, there's there's absolutely no reason to you know to to push that. And you you saw that from Dave Roberts, and you saw Dave Roberts go out and and pull you know, pull Scherzer in a move that, you know, the announcers kind of feel like, oh boy, you know, this is a little bit early, but it, it wasn't at all. It was exactly, you know, it was exactly the right time. And, uh, you know, and Schultz just not quite in that class of, of manager at this point. And he's still, I think, clinging to some of these old school kind of narrative belief type things where, you know, believing that, Adam Wainwright has some kind of internal magic that he can, you know, spin that's going to be more valuable. That's going to make it worth uh, having, uh, you know, a pitcher take another at bat. Um, you know, uh, one thing just to point out that kind of came from all of this, Paul. So I think there were 16 position players on the Cardinals roster for this game. Uh, Paul DeYoung was the only pinch hitter who was used last night. Okay. Um, the Dodgers had four bench players take five plate appearances. Okay, that's just better management. That's getting, you know, more hitters to the plate. That's getting better opportunities. And, you know, we saw the results of that. And so, yeah, this one opportunity, you know, wouldn't necessarily have swung the game. But when you make these kind of decisions consistently over the course of a game, you give yourself more opportunities and you give yourself a a better chance to win. Uh, That's absolutely correct. Now, let me also say, though, that. When Schilt had Wainwright come back out and he allowed the base runner, um, I had no confidence that he would go and remove Wainwright before Wainwright gave up the go-ahead or fall behind, I guess, in this case, the fall behind run. I I thought he was going to leave ride or die 
with Wainwright. Yes. And yeah. if it, and he's going to hold his hand and drive over the cliff like Thelma and Louise, if that's what it took. Right. And, and it was a really weird circumstance during the game when they came out and got Wainwright because Yachty yeah. kind of walked out there before the manager did. And Garcia had been warming up for a little while, so it didn't feel like Yachty was trying to get Garcia more warm-up pitches to me. No, it almost we, felt like Yachty was kind of like, hey, we need to get him out of here. <laughs> I, no, I'm with you. I am I am team conspiracy theory here that Yachty made the move because I agree because because Garcia had been warming up th- from between innings um, and, and, you know, Wainwright faced two batters. So Garcia had to be ready. And and you're right. They after the hit, they kind of they cut to the dugout and, you know, Shill is just kind of sitting there. He's not doing anything. And so, you know, Wainwright goes and kind of toes the rubber and you saw Yachty's body language back there to me kind of looked like, really, are we doing this? And then it was Yachty who, yes, stands up and walks out there. And and I I mean, we watched the game together, so we kind of discussed this in the moment. But it really looked to me like that was Yachty telling the dugout that, you know, now is the time he needs to come out. And I thought Wainwright looked particularly frustrated and upset when he left in a way that I don't usually see from him, which also made me think that perhaps, you know, it was Yachty who had kind of, um, you know, uh, et tu brutated him in that moment. Um, <laughs> I, I knew, I know it was you, Yachty, you broke my heart. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but Hey, thank you, Yachty. Cause that was a hundred percent the right decision. If that was your decision. Um, <laughs> Uh, should we move on to talk about the, the next two moves that I kind of wanted to talk about were both, I thought, good moves that Schilt made that I wanted to highlight. <coughs> um, one of them was going to Gallegos in the eighth. And I bring this up again because, let's be honest, Mike Mastini would have saved Gallegos for the ninth because Gallegos was his closer. But in the eighth inning, the Dodgers had the middle of the order coming up. Of course, it's a Dodgers home game, too. So Dodgers score in the eighth inning. There may not be a bottom of the ninth inning. So I'm not saying that was like the most innovative managerial move ever, but it's still one that you don't always see done. And um, I, I was glad to see Schilt made that move. As a as a Mathena Gene scholar, uh, I need to make a minor correction in this moment. Uh, you, yeah. you had said that Matheny probably would have saved Gallegos for the ninth. Yes, he he would have saved Gallegos un, right. until there was a lead. Yes, yes. exactly. You're right. So you're, he you're he would he would have gone to Michael Waka on 34 days <laughs> rest oh uh, before Gallegos, um, and uh, and that is Mike Matheny in a nutshell. And now I'm having uh, I flashbacks. We, I thought to... we said we weren't going to bring the walk thing up before we started recording. Cause this was already <laughs> too traumatic. I thought we were going to try to. Take it uh, well, down, we, we need to remind people of just how terrible Mike Matheny was as a manager and what an idiot he is. Um, <laughs> one of the dumbest human beings I've ever seen talk about baseball. And it's really a black mark on the front office and ownership that they hired that idiot to be a manager. And we just need to remind ourselves from time to time how lucky we are that they saw the light and fired him and ran him out of town. That was, that was a very good day and uh, cheers to the front office and ownership for firing Mike Matheny. Um, But you're right. Going to Gallegos in the eighth was a good move and also going to him with the intent to get two innings going in. Yes. And, 
that is something where uh, I feel, and you're seeing it more and more, um, for a while there, the pushback on some of the more, uh, it's almost like a hybrid of, of new age and old school ways to use relievers. And, and one of those is we need two innings out of you. And what seems to be the case is if the manager and the coaching staff is, is very upfront and tells the pitcher, you know, Hey, if we're in a tie game going into the eighth inning, we, you have the eighth and ninth, right? Yeah. And the pitchers, you're seeing it more and more, uh, these closers and, and some of the other high leverage, high quality relievers, they are ready, willing, and able to give them two innings. And, and Gallegos was uh, until the fingernail issue. And then they knew that they couldn't use Gallegos. And I thought Shilton engaged in some good gamesmanship uh, to burn Lux and get to Pujols, uh, even though it was a, a lefty on righty matchup with the sinker heavy McFarlane, you know, just kind of like, Hey, we dare you. If yes. you, if you think you're going to get lift and he put a pretty good charge into the ball. Um, mm -hmm. And Ron Darling, who I think does a very good job. I know that I am oftentimes critical of the broadcasters, but I really like the Anderson and, and Darling team. Uh, and I, I think they do a good job because I think they genuinely enjoy the game and uh -huh. they aren't constantly complaining about how it's not the way it once was like an idiot like Ricky Horton or John Smoltz. Uh -huh. And so uh, Darling made the comment that he got it down enough that Pujols couldn't lift it. And yeah. and it was a perfect uh assessment of, of what he did there and he did a good job executing. And I thought that was a nice bit of managing from Schilt to get Roberts to burn through Lux uh, and then uh, just letting McFarlane go at the obviously older and declining Pujols who has hit lefties well, uh, yeah. but he felt he had a stuff versus batter matchup that was favorable and it wound up being favorable. Yeah, absolutely. And that was, um, you know, I mean, that was frankly a, uh, a La Russa-esque moment there to, to play that gambit and get the, uh, you know, get them to burn Lux. Um, so that was, you know, that was well played. Yeah, in the moment, we weren't sure what was going on. We were all kind of like, why isn't Gallegos going out for a second inning? But I think we all even assumed maybe there's an injury or something. And that was, of course, the case. Well, yeah, I was a little bit worried, like, right. you know, not, not even just that he would be out of the game, but that it might be something more serious than a, than a fingernail issue. So I was frankly a little bit relieved yeah. <laughs> in the postseason press conference that it was just like, oh no, you know, he doesn't need Tommy John. He just had a fingernail issue. Right. Yeah, and 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 so going to McFarland, of course, the counter with Pujols, who, who, as you said, does have very good numbers against left-handers and only left-handers. But, you know, the, the Dodgers lineup is so strong and and uh, has good hitting on both sides of the plate. You know, you're just, you're not going to be able to dominate them. You know, anybody you bring in is going to face somebody who can, you know, who can do some damage against them. And so, um, uh, so McFarland came in, um, retired Pujols, um, retired uh, somebody else. I don't remember who the, the, the other batter he retired was. And then um, the the one real uh, poor <laughs> move out of his part, oh, it's Souza Jr. was the pinch hitter who he retired. Uh, the, the walk to Cody Bellinger was really a, a, a bad 
a bad moment. Um, you know, Cody Bellinger, who is just, you know, one of the least productive players in all of baseball this season, um, lefty on lefty, uh, you know, and uh, again, and that was, I mean, that was almost a callback to the first half of the Cardinals season right there, just a, you know, kind of pointless walk, putting them in peril. So then at that point, um, you've got Chris Taylor coming to the plate. Uh, Chris Taylor, who uh, has uh, uh, hits 40% better uh, against uh, uh, left-handed pitching than he does against right-handed pitching. So, you know, with that in mind, I think it's defensible that Mike Schill is thinking, I want to get McFarland out here and I want to bring in a right-handed pitcher. Uh, and so he brought in Alex Reyes. Uh, ben, feelings, was that the right move? <laughs> so I, I have been, you know, people might laugh. I've been trying to be, you know, more positive in the moment. Um, and I have everything that Alex Reyes has been through makes me really want him to succeed. And, you know, folks who have listened to the podcast will recall that before the trade deadline, you know, we discussed, and I was a strong advocate of trading Alex Reyes at the trade deadline because this is the highest his value will ever be because he walks so many batters. He will never be a truly good pitcher. He will never realize the potential that his stuff makes you wish upon. And so fast forward, I didn't think his collapse would be as brutal as it was in the second half. I thought it would be pretty ugly, but more like Jason Isringhausen ugly than like, right. uh, you know, Ryan Franklin ugly. Um, yeah. And, yeah. and so uh, it, it, it's been tough to watch and, and you can see a guy who very clearly is struggling with his confidence uh, and with execution and, and basically everything you can struggle with as a pitcher in the major leagues, he's been struggling with. And so when he came out, it really felt like almost in my mind, there was like a tragic musical cue from a movie where like, you know, this is the guy in the band of brothers who's going to get blown up by a landmine. And yeah. And, well, and as long as as long as we you know we already brought up the Michael Walker moment, I had absolute Michael Walker flashbacks in that moment because I just as and, and and actually it happened earlier because there was a point when Wayno was potentially going to be pinch hit for that they showed him warming up in like the sixth and I just yeah. thought I, and I as soon as I saw him and I just I, I just thought oh no like this you know I I don't know I just the the, the feeling was just that's the way this is going to go if, if they go to him. And, you know, unfortunately it was, um, you know, but again, trying to be charitable and, and really thinking through what was the moment there. So McFarland uh, is a, is a lefty Taylor kills lefties. The Cardinals have used several bullpen pieces already at this point. Okay. So they have some limitations. I also think it's reasonable to think that Dakota Hudson and Jack Flaherty are probably not options there because those guys are starting pitchers. They're coming back from injuries. Typically those guys do not do well and are not really able to get hot and come in in the middle of innings. 
Um, so I think we can assume that those guys were not going to be, you know, middle of an inning options there. So, um, and, you know, Henesis Cabrera is a left-hander. So if you're trying to avoid the platoon split situation, um, you have the same issue with him. Andrew Miller is also a left-hander. He's also not a good pitcher. So that's another reason not to use Andrew Miller. So really, I think the choice that Schilt was left with was Alex Reyes or Cody Whitley. Okay. So on the one hand, you can say, okay, you know, he only had two options there. But that said, it just seems like he so obviously made the wrong choice. You know, Cody Whitley, um, you know, while not being on the major league all-star team this year and and having been in a closer role for the first half of the season, you know, Cody Whitley has been, um, you know, I don't think he gave up a run in the month of September. And Cody Whitley has been just so much more, uh, so much stronger of late. And and just just obviously seems like that's who you needed to go to there. Yeah, I I think that is the move that I would have made. And I would have intentionally probably not even used Reyes in this game if I could help it. Um, if I were going to pitch him in the postseason this year, um, I would have waited until, you know, a middle inning yep. where the game is not on the, the knife's edge between win and loss and tried to get his feet wet in that way Um, because it just, it felt, and we say this over and over again, where it's, you know, the manager's job is to put players in a position to succeed. And Mike Schilt has been blinded by Alex Reyes's stuff. And I'm, and I am empathetic to that. You know, we live in a minor league town. We see a lot of minor leaguers, and it's really, uh, you know, it's well, real easy to wish upon that potential. But what Reyes has shown is his stuff isn't enough to get it done in its current yeah. form. And yeah. he he is especially prone to fail because of his tendency to walk batters when he's got runners on base. Yeah. And so you bring him into a do-or-die situation where there's already a runner on, and you're just putting him and the team in a position to fail. And I just thought it was almost cruel, and I uh, frankly think it's indefensible that Schilt did what he did. Well, and then, you know, after the game, Schultz said something and he said things like this before. He says, well, we don't get where we are this year without Reyes. And and those are some of the comments that are just really starting to kind of drive me nuts from Mike Schilt. And, you know, the charitable reading of him, and I think there's an aspect of this is, you know, he's always out there defending his players. And and so he wants to stick up for them and he wants to to be positive. And and and, and that's defensible. Right. But um I think he also believes that. And that's scary because that's a terrible reason to bring him in right there. Because the fact that he was pitching at the end of uh, a bunch of games in the first half of the season, frankly, not pitching that well. Um, They happened to not, uh, you know, push runs across to, to, uh, you know, that would cause the Cardinals to lose those games. But as you have been noting since May, you know, you know, the, the flaws with Alex Reyes have been apparent you know, forever, um, you know, but to, to in a, uh, an elimination game say, well, I'm going to put this guy in because, 
of, you know, what, as a, as a reward for some work that he did for you, like earlier in the season. I mean, that's a reason to give like Matt Carpenter a farewell at bat in a game 162 when your season's already uh, settled. You know, it's not a reason to, you know, bring a guy in to, uh, you know, face a a batter with the, the winning run on first base. Yes. It, if he truly believes in his heart, and that is why he went to Alex Reyes, uh, that, you know, they wouldn't be where they are without him. I mean, that's insane. That's like the type of thing you would expect Rick Hummel to say, you yeah. know, someone who should have retired a decade ago. Well, and this is the thing that makes me honestly wonder, is Mike Schilt gonna, going to stick around and last long term as a manager of the St. Louis Cardinals, because I do feel like that I I feel like that meshes with what has been the culture of this organization. But again, this is also an organization that that pushes for efficiency. And and, you know, we've talked about how excellent they are at, you know, base running and defense and really maximizing the value right there. Um, You know, managers, they don't they don't swing your fortunes a huge amount. Oh, I think we all know that, right? Uh, at least those of us who watch closely, right? The, you know, the right manager or the wrong manager is not going to make a huge difference. I think I saw, you know, they, they talk about like Aaron Boo now, you know, and like, oh, you know, he's gone to the playoffs every year and he's won over 90 games. It's like, I was thinking like, how many games would the Yankees win if I was managing them? What do you think, Ben? I think, <laughs> I think at least 87, don't you? <laughs> Probably. I mean, like how bad could I screw up a Yankees team, right? So anyway, the, you know, managers don't make a big difference either, but they do make a little bit of a difference. And, and you know, Mike Schilt, I think we still see this kind of, this kind of old fashioned, like, you know, appealing to, you know, narrative and heart and some of this stuff that, that, you know, broadcasters like, but we just, but it's not the kind of more, you know, numbers driven, common sense kind of stuff that you see like a Dave Roberts doing that you see organizations like the Rays doing, which are not always the most romantic, <laughs> you know, ways to see. But as we said, when you, you get your, strong bench hitters, you know, five plate appearances, as opposed to having your, your pitcher take a bunch of plate appearances. It's things like that over and over that you are starting to give away an edge there. And, and the way Schilt makes some of these decisions, I think the Cardinals are, are giving away a little bit of an edge. Now in defense of Schilt, Adam Wainwright took better plate appearances when trying, you know, he worked the count better when trying to lay down a sacrifice bunt than Edmund has all year. Um, that, you know that first that first Wainwright at bat was uh, was a, a thing of beauty as a pitcher trying to lay down a bunt goes. It absolutely was. Um, let me also, though, uh, in all seriousness, it you know, I, I have picked up on Twitter. Uh, Bernie Miklas has been particularly critical of Schultz's statements to the media, and. You know, as someone who used to be in those media scrums, I can understand him taking umbrage towards it. Uh, But I think what Schilt is constantly doing is uh, he is going to be with his players facing outward, no matter what. Yes. And and he is going to – well, but he's going to defend them to, to the bitter end. But he I is, also think, but but oh. in a moment like this, when he does makes this move, it also shows that it is also what drives his thing. You know what I'm saying? Like, yes, it, no, but I think you know he made the statement. He described it as you know we have a guy with great stuff, and I think that she'll just legitimately, 
and it is really easy to do because his stuff is really filthy. You know, he, when you see Alex Reyes pitch in person, it reminds me every time of the coaches in Bull Durham talking about Ebby Calvin LaRouche. And it's, you know, they, they, it's the, the whole, Oh, new league record, you know? And then, and then when they get down and they kind of go out of the comedic shtick, it's just a wonderful scene. But then when he's like, but man, does he have some shit, you know, like, and you can see them just looking at him and looking at his ability to throw a baseball. If he can harness the control and command, he's going to be a major ligger and a really good one. And you can almost fittingly from a North Carolina guy who was a, you know, a clubhouse uh, attendant, uh, who cleaned Cal Ripken's shoes, you can almost see that in the way that he approaches Reyes. And it it seems that he is so taken with Reyes's stuff that he is unable to see how detrimental uh, his inability to control and command that stuff can be to the team's ability to win. Um, but also when he says, you know, we wouldn't be here without Alex Reyes to me, that is him talking to Alex Reyes through the media for yeah. next year. Yeah. Um, not even so much his thought process and I may be too charitable there, but I think most of the stuff that people get rubbed the wrong way with Mike Schilt is when he isn't even answering or talking to the media or the fans he is talking to his players through the media and letting them know that he believes in them. And, uh, and I think that his positivity is a big reason why that team was able to put together the amazing September run and put all the pieces together, even though they had such a frustrating uh, first, you know, 80% of the season. Yeah, you're right. And, and, you know, we don't usually dive this deep into managerial moves and they're, you know, again, they don't make that much of a difference over the long term at all. You know, and even in this game, you know, uh, one or two hits with runners in scoring position and it doesn't it doesn't matter at all. So um, we're probably putting it under a little bit of a of too much of a microscope here. And and I think you're right. He's Schultz, obviously. uh He's great at managing the, the people on the team, and, and it's hard for us to quantify what the value of that is, and it's clear the team um, you know, feels, it's, feels it's very valuable and feels that he does a good job of that. So, um, Anything else on the, the game, or should we, uh, should we say goodbye to some people? Um, I, you know, I just want to say it was a really good game and I don't know if 2011 has just permanently changed the way that I view these things. Um, but I, I have not taken this loss, uh, as hard as I used to because it was, it was just a good game. Yeah. And you just almost kind of tip your hat to the Dodgers who are a great team and, you know, now our October is going to be a little uh, less stressful and a little yeah. more relaxing, and we can just kind of drink in uh, the drama as a as a quasi interested observer, and you know, and and get ready uh, come November for the off season. Yep. No, I think that was well put, and I agree with everything you said right there. So, as we uh, look towards the off season. 
Um, we wanted to just kind of quickly run through um, some of the uh, players who are uh, leaving the team, or at least players who are are heading towards free agency, who have, um, in some cases, have uh, options that are, um, I, I think, pretty unlikely to be picked up. So um, we're just going to kind of tick through these one by one. And I guess, Ben, we can just kind of briefly comment on them. Um, so, so first off, and the, the biggest dollar value on the list, uh, Matt Carpenter, um, the Cardinals do have an $18.5 million club option to bring Matt Carpenter back for the 2022 season. What would you say are the odds that they exercise that option? Uh, zero. <laughs> the DeWallet is not, if they aren't going to pick up Colton Wong, uh, what was his option? 12 million. If I remember correctly, I think so. If they're not going to pick up Colton Wong for 2021 for 12 million, uh, the, the odds of them picking up Matt Carpenter after the season, well, seasons, uh, that he has had the last few years, uh, is is zero. There's no way he's coming back at that price point. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, what do you what do you think happens with with Matt Carpenter? Do you think he do you think he replays baseball next year? Uh, what do you what do you foresee? I, I hope that he does and I hope that he experiences some success in doing so. Uh, but you know you just look at the production it seems unlikely to me that he's going to get a guaranteed deal. So he would almost maybe be a non-roster invite. Um, and maybe he hits his way onto a team. I mean, he's a good teammate. He takes professional plate appearances still. Uh, so if he can uncover a little bit of, of power and maybe go play for a team that has a more left-handed hitter friendly ballpark, you know, like maybe a Yankees or a, a team like that that has a, a ballpark that is more uh, fitting to his skill set uh, than Bush Stadium, uh, you know, maybe he could catch on somewhere like that. But I, I think it, the odds are against him that he is on a major league roster next year. Yeah, I, I think so as well. So his, um, and I have to be a baseball reference, so this is OPS plus, but it's basically the same thing as WRC plus. So he has not been above league average since 2018. And here's his last three seasons, 92, 79, 65. And that's at age 33, 34, 35. That's, that's, you're typically not coming back from that. The, the one thing I have to say, I, and, and partly it's just probably the, the more toxic uh, corners of Cardinals Twitter. And, and I think partly though, it's also when you, anytime you have to watch a, an older player, especially who's on a big contract, you know, those last few years of those contracts often do not go well. But I was really surprised at the vitriol that came out at Matt Carpenter. I mean, to me, I mean, Matt Carpenter is going to be a red jacket guy. Matt Carpenter is the uh, 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 wins above replacement leader for the 2010s for the St. Louis Cardinals. I'm actually not looking that up, but I'm almost certain it's true. So I'm just going to say it like it's true. Um, I mean, Matt Carpenter is an all time great Cardinal. And so, like, I really don't understand people who I mean, sure, it was disappointing that he, you know, he, he didn't perform better these last few years. But boy, the vitriol just I, I don't get that at all. Uh, and, I, you know, I'm going to go a step further there. 
Um, you know, when, when he put together, you know, his, his 2013, his seven win season, uh, he was, he had positive value on defense. I mean, there, there is a good chance, um, that his, you know, uh, 2013 season won't be equaled by a Cardinals second baseman, uh, maybe even in our lifetimes, like maybe if no, maybe if, uh, with Gorman, everything goes right. Right. Like maybe Uh he gets there, but that was just, it was, you know, his, his breakout season, his first season as a starter. And he comes out and he puts up a seven win season and he, he has a 392 on base percentage. He has a, a 163 ISO, uh, which isn't great, not as good as the the seasons that would come uh, later. Um, but he he also has you know 55 doubles that year, and if there was anyone uh, deserving of the moniker two bags, uh, it's not Tommy Edmond, it's uh, Matt Carpenter and. You know, like Tommy Edmond is, will never be, I mean, he isn't even a pale comparison It's it's or imitation. It's just, there's really no comparison to that kind of early 2010s. Uh, or it's probably more like the mid uh, 2010s Matt Carpenter uh, and a player on this roster. Just his, his command of the strike zone, is it, it was preternatural. And he was mm-hmm. able to leverage that into becoming a good power hitter. And he made pitchers come to him in a way that very few batters are able to do. And it was just a lot of fun to watch him work counts and spoil pitches, which was is a skill that is, I think, really underrated. And when he was at his peak and in his prime for about five years there, you know, he was just a battler in that batter's box and just so much fun to watch him grind. Yeah. And, uh, I, the way that he remade himself throughout his career too. I, I mean, very, very few players have I ever seen who, you know, who did that. He, you know, he came up and he was that kind of doubles machine, but then, you know, transformed himself into a guy who was, you know, uh, you know, in the, you know, among the league leaders in home runs and, and just, I mean, I remember, I, I distinctly remember seeing Matt Carpenter play uh, in triple a and he was still playing third base um, uh, pretty much was his primary position. And I remember watching him and I remember thinking like, this guy's a good hitter. Like this guy's a good contact hitter, but he doesn't have that much power. And he played, he, he can only play like a corner position. And I thought like, this guy has no, I thought, no, oh, maybe this guy will, you know, be a bench player for a couple seasons. But I thought this guy has no major league future because there's just that, that profile doesn't go anywhere. And I mean, it went somewhere. I looked it up while we were talking, by the way, the uh, wins above replacement of mom baseball reference for the 2010s of the Cardinals. I should have realized Yadier Molina is, is number one, 31.8, but number two is Matt Carpenter, 27.7. So you know, I mean, again, this is one of your this is your all time player for an entire decade of the Cardinals and look back at any Cardinal decade. And, you know, anybody that was that high, uh, you know, is, is somebody that's really revered. And I think that's where Matt Carpenter will end up as well. So um, speaking of of uh, Cardinals who uh, should be more revered than they are, in my opinion, 
Carlos Martinez has a uh, $17 million club option for 2022. It's actually the first of two club options. Ben, what do you think are the odds that the uh, the Cardinals pick up that that option? Uh, somehow lower than they <laughs> the odds of them picking up the Matt Carpenter option. And I I say that with a heavy heart. You know, I the first time that I saw Carlos Martinez, he was a kid, and he maybe weighed 150 pounds soaking wet, as the saying goes. And he was, you know, he was in high A and he was still pumping it, pumping fastballs in like in the high 90s, like with ease. And it was just, it was so electric. Yeah. Like this, his stuff. And, you know, it was, you could just see like this kid is a big leaguer. Yeah. Like, you know, he is going to be in the majors. And, uh, you know, he made it to the majors and, you know, for about three seasons there, he was, you know, one of the probably top 25 pitchers in baseball, top 25 starters. Well, and... I'll tell you, if we're looking at wins above replacement among Cardinals pitchers in the 2010s, number one, Adam Wainwright, 23.3. Number two, Carlos Martinez, 14.9. And again, similar to Matt Carpenter, I feel like somehow his narrative got turned at a certain point with you know, a, a, a large segment of Cardinals fans, and they just seem to forget how amazing Carlos Martinez was. It also always boggled my mind. You know, he he was good for for a number of years. He did start to have some injury concerns, but even when he had injuries, he he went to the bullpen and he was valuable out of the bullpen. And to me, he just seemed like a guy who who was really doing everything he could to you know be out there and pitch. Um, but I and I frankly, he's one of my favorites. He's just one of my favorite Cardinals of all time. I just I love the style and the flair that he played with. I think it. I think that probably rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. So you know, as soon as the, uh, as soon as his uh, output faltered, uh, they were looking for a reason to you know to to jump on him. And and so I'm uh, you know I'm sad to see the way things have gone with Carlos. These last couple of years have gotten kind of increasingly bizarre i would say and it seems like maybe there's just some kind of just the relationship the communication with him and the organization i I don't know what it is but it just it it just things have seemed to have frayed so yeah i don't think there's any chance that he's coming back do you what do you think he does next year you think he's pitching somewhere uh the rays will probably sign him and turn him into a four win pitcher by leveraging his uh like his fastball and breaking ball, <laughs> which, and which, which frankly, I mean, it always hurts me when the Rays do that, but I would love that because it would also reunite him with Michael Waka. And I always loved the Carlos Martinez, Michael Waka, uh, buddy comedy element that they had going on together. Oh, it's amazing. The, uh, we have, we have lauded Carlos Martinez's Instagram, uh, before, uh, <laughs> yes. but I think it truly burst on the scene. Uh, when him and Michael Walker were at the all-star game in Cincinnati. And uh, I think they were singing the ooze like together. And it, it was just amazing. And the thought of them reuniting really does warm the heart. Um, one thing that I would add to your point that he, he did everything he could to pitch uh, and pitch well in 2019, when they made that charge in September and won the division, uh, he was probably the best reliever in baseball for that month. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe a little bit in late August too. I, he was very good and the team doesn't win the division in 2019 without him in relief. Um, but for whatever reason, you know, Rick Hummel at, at stltoday.com seems to really not like him and go out of his way uh, to write negatively about him, uh, which I always found to be uh, unfortunate uh, for STL Today to go that route. And I think that that has kind of helped color some of the, the negative uh, framing of him as a pitcher because you know, he was very good and he seemed poised to take that next step. And then he ran into the health issues and, you know, last year he had COVID and it was a weird season. And I, I tend to think, I, I don't know how you rate 2020 cause it was also only 60 games. And so I, I think we were all hoping that he would show some of the promise and skill that he demonstrated before his injury issues in the rotation. And he added that cutter. We've discussed it before on the podcast. It was a terrible pitch for him that opposing batters just murdered. And he just never put it together before he got injured and ended his season. And, and unfortunately uh, I think it's going to be the end of his Cardinals tenure. And, you know, he's not going out on a particularly high note. No, but I, I, I agree. I, I could definitely see success for him. And I think your prediction of the Rays is a, a very likely one. Uh, he's only 29 years old this season. So he'll be playing his age 30 season next year. Um, I think he, what he really needs is an editor. You know, he needs, a, he needs a coach or someone to work with who just helps him with because he has, frankly, he has such an amazing repertoire of stuff and so many things he can throw. Um, but it, it's, uh, but that said, as the years have gone on and as, and injuries have kind of, you know, kind of chipped away at what he can and can't do, it just seems like he's sometimes struggled to know exactly what's the most effective mix of, uh, you know, what, what kind of pitcher should, you know, should he be? And I, but, but there's still just so much talent there. I feel like, you know, if he gets the right coach to kind of help him, you know, edit what he has into the best version of himself at age 30, I, I could see him, you know, being great. And I, I hope he is. Uh, so next on the list, uh, Dexter Fowler's $14.5 million salary is going to be coming off the books next year. Um, but Dexter's not on the team. Um, so those were the the uh, the big salaries and a couple of the options there. Um, in terms of starting pitching, John Lester, J.A. Happ, or sorry, J. Happ, and Wade LeBlanc will all be unrestricted free agents at the end of the season. Uh, what do you see happening with those guys, Ben? Um, I think Wade LeBlanc is probably on the Cardinals next year uh, in the swingman, kind of the the role that KK uh, has embodied. You know, he's there to cover innings when you need it um, yeah. and maybe make a spot start here and there. Now that's contingent on a clean bill of health and I'm a little bit fuzzy on what exactly went wrong with him. Um, and so I, I don't quite know what his viability will be. I hope and pray they don't sign Lester. Hap is an interesting possibility uh, and feels like he could be the type of s- starter that Mosaic would sign to block Liberator to allow him to refine his craft in AAA, uh, and also Oviedo to allow him to do the same. Basically, the same reason they traded for Happ and Lester, just signing Hap because I think he's 
you know, a little bit better of a pitcher than Lester. And if they don't move the fences in for next year at Bush, you know, it's probably a viable approach to have Hap come out and just throw strikes and let the defense catch the ball when the players hit it. Yeah. And we've talked on this before. My concern. Uh, so I'm with you. If, if, Le, if they could re-sign LeBlanc as a sort of swing man, and that's a nominal cost kind of move. I mean, that's fine with me. I don't really care. Um, you know, in terms of signing either Lester or Hap, um, and to me, they're basically the same person. Um, uh, you know, uh, I feel like it's a it's the kind of move, frankly, that the Cardinals make. They really like known quantities. Um, you know, they like to trade for guys, get to know them, and then bring them back. Um, and you know, and these guys, the, their results were good for the few months they were with the team. Um, I think the way the way they pitch fits the kind of way the team is built. So I can see some positives there that could carry forward, but you know, they're, you know, they're super old and, you know, they were, you know, they came in off the scrap heap. So we got them fixed up and going, but they're, you know, not much has to go wrong for them to be back on the scrap heap. And what worries me is the opportunity cost that you're giving up by signing these guys. Um, And, and we talked about it before, but I think Lester in particular, you know, John Lester is just enough of a, of a name and uh, a personality that if they sign John Lester, John Lester will be in their starting rotation. You know, they won't have that flexibility. And, and I would rather see them, and we've talked about this many times too, you know, build out a bigger, frankly, more of a, you know, six, seven man starting rotation, um, you know, with, uh, you know, where you, you have some guys that maybe you are shuffling, uh, you know, to the minor leagues and, and you're just with recognition that some guys are going to go on to the DL. Sometimes they're going on with that almost more of that, like, you know, 15 day rest period on the DL. You're doing that kind of management of your pitching staff, which is what the Brewers do. It's what the Dodgers do. Frankly, it's what the smart teams do. I'd like to see the Cardinals move more in that direction. And to me, signing a guy like Lester feels or Hap feels like it's more in the like, these are our five guys kind of mold. So I, I don't know that they would be bad players from that standpoint, but I just worry about what they would do kind of opportunity cost wise if they brought them back. Yeah. And, and I understand where you're coming from. I, I feel like the, that type of signing is just based on, you know, managing workload a little bit, allowing, pitchers to develop more in the minors with the expectation that injuries will happen and those pitchers will be making starts for St. Louis uh, after a promotion when a pitcher hits the injured list. Yeah. And, and I feel like it's, it's an inevitability and, and that type of depth signing you know, almost is doing what, what you want them to do, but they're just going to store the, the sixth and seventh starters down in Memphis and Mm -hmm. call them up when need be. Now, that being said, I think they need with Flaherty's injury issues this year, Wainwright being as old as he is, I think is also a question mark health wise. I, I think they need to shop in the high end of the market and get someone who can give you elite innings pitched because we've, we've, we have lived through 
when the bullpen is having to be stretched thin because it has to cover too many innings and you don't have enough quality arms in the bullpen to do that. And it is ugly. And I think what they need to do is they need to look at someone who's going to give them elite innings, six, seven innings a night instead of, you know, okay innings and hope you get six. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know, Agreed. Agreed. And that's part of my concern is that signing these guys maybe pushes you another step away from that kind of acquisition, which I think you need more. Um, so lastly, uh, some relievers, uh, Andrew Miller, um, is, uh, will be a free agent. Um, he was paid $12 million this year. So again, that's another chunk onto that, um, you know, of salary that that's coming available, um, from what they, they had on uh, this year's team. And then TJ McFarland and Luis Garcia are both going to be free agents as well. What do you, what do you think there? Any of those guys you would like to see back or expect to see back? Um, I 100% uh, expect them to sign at least one of McFarland or Garcia. And I think McFarland is probably the more likely candidate because I feel like Garcia has shown uh, a very enticing repertoire. And I think he's, he's going to get a lot of interest uh, on the free agent market. I think McFarlane is a little bit more St. Louis niche in his (laughs) skill set. And uh, also what he, what he fills in terms of need, you know, right-handed relievers are just, more fungible and easier to find than lefties. The Cardinals have certainly proven that. Uh, And so I think they're more likely to re-sign McFarlane. I think I would rather they re-sign Garcia, uh, if I'm being honest, though. Well, I would, of course, rather that they re-sign Garcia. But as as I think you know, um, when I have to list my religion on something, my religion is don't pay for relief pitching. And so the problem is, uh, I think you're right. I think other teams are going to have offers for Luis Garcia. And so in order to sign Luis Luis Garcia, you are going to have to pay for relief pitching. And at that point, they should not sign Luis Garcia. So, um, you know, if if they could get Garcia for a small amount, um, I I think it would be great to bring him back because I do. I mean, I think he was really impressive. He is. He's a lot older than you think he is. He's in his mid 30s. but, um, you know, it would be great to have him back, but you, I just don't think you pay up for these guys. I mean, again, especially a guy in his mid-30s, you know, what's the expectation there? Uh, and, and you know, the other guy we haven't talked about, Andrew Miller, and, I mean, I hate to just keep pointing to, like, anecdotal examples, you know, to, you know, try to make my point, but I feel like they just keep popping up. Andrew Miller is what happens when you pay for relief pitching, you know, and, you know, they, they paid, uh, you know, kind of top, top-ish dollar or at least, you know, uh, you know, high-end dollar for a, a, a name brand, you know, relief pitcher. And, you know, he has been, uh, he has struggled to even be a replacement level pitcher throughout his time in St. Louis. Um, you know, and he seems like he's a, you know, he's a, he's a nice guy. He's the union rep and all that, but he's, he's just not a good pitcher anymore. <laughs> so, um, so, you know, the, Miller won't be back. Um, I don't know if he'll, try to pitch next year or, or not. He seems like he may be kind of, you know, at the end of his career, but um, whatever they do, I hope 
they I hope they restock their bullpen um, either by uh, you know utilizing arms that are already in the system or by going out and finding more TJ McFarland and Luis Garcia type guys rather than um, you know paying up for guys that have kind of already established a name for themselves. Yeah, I I totally understand where you're coming from and. You know, it, it's not hard to imagine like a, a Cody Whitley filling the Luis Garcia role next year. And it's also not hard to imagine them finding a, a non-roster invite, uh, you know, like a Pat Neshek who just, you know, as you say, don't pay for it. Find the next Luis Garcia mm-hmm. um, and and have him fill that role. But that being said, you look at how the team approached those relievers and the way they went to Garcia and kind of said, hey, your best pitch is your sinker. We're just losing the four-seamer and we're going sinker-breaking ball. And and it worked. And so you also kind of wonder, obviously he can just take that formula and go pitch anywhere, but you also kind of wonder how much trust there is there how he feels about the coaching staff, how he feels about the teammates. If this is a situation where he feels they gave him a chance, they helped him succeed and he wants to, to be in the mix in St. Louis because of it. And, and all of those things factor in and really they have so much money coming off the books. You know, if they want to throw a little of DeWallet's money toward Luis Garcia on a one-year deal, I'm not really going to complain. Well, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see what kind of offers Luis Garcia gets. I mean, he he really showed some potential, uh, you know, here at the end of this season. But he is a, a pretty old relief pitcher who's yes. struggled many times in the past. So, so I, he's a question mark for me. I, I, if he's at a, a reasonable price point, I'd love to see him come back. But you know, if there's teams offering him, you know, you know, large salaries and you know, multi-year deals and things like that, um, etc. All right, I uh, we're we've gone on for a, a long run here, Ben, and we're out of uh, guys. We're saying farewell to, so I think we should wrap things up. Uh, last thing, I think, anything you're going to be watching for in the playoffs? Uh, really excited, uh, even though I couldn't watch any of the White Sox Astros this afternoon because uh, I was at work. Uh, but I'm really excited. Hopefully. Uh, for four more games of La Russa versus Dusty Baker. You know, they don't really like each other. Um, I just was reminded today by a fun tweet that, you know, La Russa is the oldest manager in MLB. Dusty Baker's the second oldest. And someone tweeted out their 1987 tops cards and, and with the tweet that the oldest manager in MLB managed the second oldest manager in MLB. And I did not appreciate that, that La Russa managed Dusty Baker uh, in the late eighties. And so I think that adds an even a, another dimension to their saltiness toward one another. And I'm hoping that we get some true La Russa dial it to 11 postseason antics. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, and hoping that it delivers on all fronts here over the next week. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and similarly, I'm going to be watching the managers. I'm definitely going to be watching La Russa just to see him again and see what does La Russa look like. But I think specifically I'm going to be looking for, I, I kind of talked about earlier, the dichotomy that I think we started to see between 
um, Mike Schilt and between Dave Roberts and, you know, and, and the way that, you know, Mike Schilt to me still kind of plays into some of these um, kind of older ideas of what a manager does and, you know, kind of, you know, managing with his heart and, you know, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, Dave Roberts is more kind of, you know, following the numbers and, and, you know, kind of, you know, following and executing this game plan. And I, I just, um, I think the, the guys who do it like Mike Schilt are really disappearing. And I think particularly among the elite teams, so we already mentioned the Dodgers and the Rays do not do that at all. And I think they are, you know, the class of their respective leagues. So I, you know, I'm just going to kind of be watching everybody else and just see what do we see the other managers doing? Because that's going to help me frame how I feel about Mike Schilt, you know, and just how far kind of out of line is he with where, you know, the world is going in terms of the the managerial role. So I'll be watching that, but I'll also just be enjoying some baseball games. It's always kind of fun to watch when, um, you know, your team's not, not in it. Um, you don't have to go through the unbelievable stress that we went through last night. Um, ben, anything else before we, uh, we wrap it up? Uh, also looking forward. Uh, I see here that Randy Rosarena has already hit a mammoth home run, uh, in the Rays first postseason game. So I'm also really excited for another torrid October from Randy Rosarena uh, and making us all wonder what might've been if Mike Schilt had not played Tommy Edmond in the outfield over Randy Rosarena in 2019. Was, was Randy Rosarena wearing cowboy boots when he hit that home run? No, but he was wearing some really rad powder blue batting gloves and he uh i believe uh the kids say uh you know he showed up the pitcher after he hit the home run it was a very it was a very bombastic uh stand and admire and then gesture toward the dugout uh routine and i greatly enjoyed it he is he is a lot of fun he is a lot of fun i will enjoy watching him as well so alrighty. Well, hey, thank you um, to everybody for listening to us today. Thanks for listening all season as well. It's been, uh, Ben and I have had fun doing this. Um, it's been uh, fun and I think really kind of gratifying for us to have so many listeners and and folks interacting with us, um, sending you know things on Twitter or email, asking questions, things like that. Um, that's really been great as well. So um, with that, um, and we will be, I guess we should say, we will be doing um, some periodic uh, off-season podcasts through the off season, we're not going to record every single off day though. I should, we should make that clear. Right, Ben. We don't want to give people the wrong idea. (laughs) Right. We're going to go, uh, probably about once a month, just kind of touching in with some of the, uh, big events, uh, that mark the hot stove, uh, over the off season. And we'll probably also get together and record, you know, if the Cardinals make a trade or make a big free agent signing to break that down for you. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll, uh, yeah, we'll be checking in periodically. Hope everyone enjoys the off season. Thanks again for listening and we'll be back uh, soon with another Cardinals off day. Thanks.